Christmas is great until it sucks. Why? People are the worst. Join us as we discover the choice to forgive or leave things fractured. So I go, I go back home last week, uh, just utterly exhausted, just trying to like mind my own business, enjoy myself, and uh, ready to take a nap. And I, and I throw on the TV, because my New England Patriots, I grew up in New England, uh, they're playing, uh, they're trying to like do well, we're gonna win another Super Bowl and all that. And, uh, and then, so like, I'm trying to enjoy myself, and then the trolls come out because the Patriots lost the game on this like, crazy play in like, the last seconds of, uh, of, the, of the game, closing seconds. And what kills me is that these people that rarely ever talk to me, although they're friends, like, all of a sudden they're like, they're like, Jason, how you doing? It's, it's when my team loses. They, they want to shoot me a text or, or, you know, like the social media trolls. Can I show you two social media trolls for a second that happened? So here's the first one. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jay Curcio. Uh, he, just, he just put the highlight up and said, he just asked a simple question. Jason, did you see this? <laughs> He's blocked. Uh, and, and so... Uh, and so then, like, that's, that's one way to troll, but then the ultimate trolling is, to, is just to that subtle tag. Have you ever gotten one of those? And so here's, here's the next one. Here's the video that was on SportsCenter. Did you see what just happened? Okay. I <laughs> and then my good friend, go to the next slide. My good friend, Simply Oscar, simply just tags me. Like, what a troll, right? Like, just ruins my day. And so my, my point in sharing this is that next week I'm going to have a really nice Christmas dinner and I'm not inviting them. <laughs> my wife's a great cook. They're not welcome to sit at my, <laughs> at my table. I, I kid, uh, naturally, they're, they're friends of mine. Uh, I wasn't actually offended uh, by that. But what happens when you're actually offended by something? And it comes time to sit at the table. And I'm not, like, I'm not, like, there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs that says, love covers a multitude of sin, which, which should speak to us being patient, which should speak to us having some thick skin, like things that society might be easily offended by. We, as Christians, we're going to say, like, love is going to cover a multitude of sin. So I'm not talking, like, society sometimes is, like, easily offended by things. And if you're offended by that comment, you might be part of that, okay? And, uh, and, and so I'm talking about, like, matters that are, are deep-seated. Like, who would we be inclined not to invite to the Christmas table because we have been offended or we're offended by them? Maybe, maybe they've wronged us or, or maybe, maybe they're just, in a moral sense, somebody that when my kids are around the table and I have a prim, prim and proper, uh, not solo cup type dinner setting, like I'm not going to invite this person around, around my kids because they might say a bad, bad, no, no word. They might bring up something from a moral stance that I don't necessarily agree with. They might come in where I have my nice cinnamon scented candle and they come in reeking a pot like they're going to ruin Christmas dinner. Like who would we be inclined not to invite to our table? I think one of the issues in society is that we tend to hold a grudge. We, we tend to forgive in principle, but never to actually restore a friendship or a, or, or a relationship. We're by nature a pretty unforgiving society, although we claim forgiveness. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 18. He's, he's, the, this chapter begins, you can turn there, we'll, we'll, we'll start reading it in a second. Uh, he, he's talking with his disciples, and his disciples start bringing up this subject matter. Who's the greatest? How do, would you define greatness? And, and my kids understand that when they ask a question, like, Pastor Jason, like, 
puts on a hat, and I give them a little sermon when they ask questions like this. They just welcome that in our household. And Jesus does that. He goes into a sermon. Like, who's the greatest? Well, I'll tell you who's the greatest. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so he goes into this little sermon, and he, and he starts off by, by directly addressing the great, who's the greatest, like the people that serve, the people that, are, that consider themselves lower than, than another, and, and that's, that's greatness. And, and then he goes into, <coughs> wow, sorry, we should get that. I'll never cough again. Uh, oh, I'll do it only when I really want you guys' attention. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, so he, he, he wants their attention. So he talks about then the temptation of sin because it's pride. And he talks about like how to handle the temptation of sin. But then, but then he goes into this, this, as they're bickering, he goes into this parable that, that is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The, the Gospels are just accounts of Jesus' life. And so there's the similarities in some of the accounts because it's all the account of Jesus' life. And he, and he tells us to parable that we have phrased this, this phrase called pray for one. You've heard us talk about this. This is why we're wellspring.one. That's our website. Dot one, dot one. My my email is dot one. This is this is a focal point for us. And and he goes in and he starts telling the story in, in the context of like who's the greatest, then temptation to sin, and, and all these things. And then he goes into changing their focus, getting their attention to think about something else. And he tells this parable where a shepherd, a shepherd is somebody that hangs out with sheep, really cares about the sheep, takes their job seriously. And this shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes missing. And so he has this opportunity. Do I only care about the 99 or do I go after the one that is lost and out there in the cold in the wilderness sheep aren't really able to protect themselves that's why they need a shepherd and so I as the shepherd should I leave and go after this one lost sheep and this parable is that 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 the shepherd chooses to forgo the 99 to go after the one lost sheep and that when he finds the sheep he celebrates he brings people together and to celebrate hey what was lost is now found this is a glorious thing this is an awesome thing. And, and so that's why we, we have this phrase called pray for one, because I want to lead a people so in love with Jesus Christ that we're willing to forgo our own preferences, that we're willing to go forgo our own traditions for the sake of the people that are lost and don't know Jesus Christ. And it comes with growing this passion for Jesus. This, does, this doesn't come naturally. He, he's saying, like, what's unnatural to you is pray for one. And, and, and so we need to wake up every single morning asking God, who can I share your love with? Think about you for a second. Think about me for a second. I once was lost, and God came in at my very worst. I was that one sheep out there wandering, and God came in and, and rescued me. God, and, and Jesus is, is, is leading this, this, this giant uh, uh, rescue party in search of people. And at one point, he was in search of me. But here's our failure. We don't join him in the search and, search and rescue party. We just, God, you do you. And so he, he talks to these disciples, and he says, if, if, if you want to talk about greatness, greatness is going out and finding the one. The point of today is, is that mercy is meant to be paid forward because we were once the lost person. We were once the one that, that needed mercy, and we were granted mercy. And here's, here's where Jesus is starting to go with this. Mercy is meant to be paid forward. What are you doing with that? Do you see that as a great mission, a great cause? And so if, if you're focused on preference, you won't pray for one. If you're focused on yourself, you won't pray for one. If you're focused on self and preference, you have no need to think about forgiveness this Christmas season. 
But some, like, I know it just got deep because I know, like, Jason, you're thinking, oh, darn you, and you're probably even cursing me in your head, but we're in church. And, and so, and, but you're like, Jason, you, I know the first two weeks you said the mother of all F-bombs, that God would forgive us. He would come to me in my words that there is therefore no condemnation. Jason, I knew you were setting us up to go to a place where we receive forgiveness, and now we have to extend forgiveness? Yes. Because, oh, that is what mercy is meant to do. It's meant to be paid for it. And so in, in Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 15. I think Jesus provides us two great reasons why mercy is meant to be paid for it. First point that we have today is that we have blueprints. And, and I think this is God being so gracious to us because as you, as you scan through the pages of Scripture, like where we want to debate, where we want to argue about certain things, where God leaves things like when you read his word, he leaves like love people. And he's talking more about a principle. He, he says, be patient, be forgiving, or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Like, but then what about the how-to? Like, how, how am I supposed to? I, the command, I have to love my wife, or my wife is supposed to respect me. Okay, how does that work out practically? And he's like, well, I'm going to give you things in principle, and then seek me for wisdom on how to make this go practically. And sometimes there's tension there. But, and so when it, comes to, when it comes to restoration, when it comes to relationships, like, isn't this one of the things that gives us all a lot of stress sometimes? And it's one of the rare times in Scripture that Jesus is so gracious to lay out a very specific plan for restoration, knowing that we might screw it up, (laughs) knowing that this might be something that gives us so much tension, so much stress. And so he lays out a very clear plan with practical steps. So if you don't know how, if you have a name right now in your mind of somebody that you're at tension with, And you're thinking, how on earth would I go about building a relationship, extending them forgiveness? Well, God gives us blueprints. So in Matthew 18, verse 15, he says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and whom? Him alone. (laughs) Alone there is really important. Uh, If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So there's one person. If you've been sinned against, if somebody wrongs you, there is one person to talk to. <laughs> so it's not a status on your social media. <laughs> it's, not going, it's not going to your life group or prayer group and being like, yo, Johnny cursed me out. He's a big jerk. And uh, I'm going to confront him, but let's all raise a hand and pray for him first. <laughs> This is going to him and him alone, and which means that you, somebody might sin against you, you might have a conversation, and the whole world may never know that anything took place. And that would honor God, wouldn't it? <laughs> and so that means that it's not also meant to come to the church officials. <laughs> I get that sometimes as, as leader of this church that, oh, hey, so-and-so said, gave me attitude this morning. You should really go talk to them. No. You should. (laughs) You should. (laughs) I ain't doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Because the very clear process is that we would love people so much that when they sin, when they're in wrong, that we would go to them directly, which also means that we go to them, which means we don't just really sweep it under the carpet, which means we don't just, we don't just then start gossiping about it. We don't just then treat it with like, oh, you know what? I don't really feel like getting into a hard conversation today. That's indifference. But is indifference caring or is indifference really a lack of care? 
that we would care about somebody and their own spiritual well-being, that we would want them to grow. That's what love is, that when I see somebody that is, is sitting, somebody that is not like Jesus, I want the real person to come out. I want, if Jesus is living inside them, I want, I want what's best for them. And so I am, out of love for them, with an attitude of love, I'm going to come alongside them and, and allow things to get awkward as we both pursue holiness. So, but if, if that doesn't work, you've, 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 got, you've gone after somebody, you've had that one-on-one conversation, uh, Jesus continues, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. But again, the circle's small. This, this, isn't, this isn't going to your life group of 15 people and being like, y'all, we all need to, like, this is two or three people. This, this again, is not, is not a status. This is not saying, well, you know what? Uh, he cursed me out, and I know this person really hates cursing. This person really hates cursing. So together, we're going, we're going, to, come at, we're going to come at this person. We're going to come down on him. I know this, these people are going to reap all sorts of condemnation because they were talking so inappropriate. Like, these are two people that are going to pray over the person that is not understanding their wrong. These are two people that are going to offer me guidance. These are two people that are going to join me in prayer. These are two people that are going to say, Jason, you know what? Like, you're making a, a, a mountain out of a molehill. Jason, like, this is something that, is, is this really for their holiness, or are you on a revenge tour? Like, Jason, what's your heart in this? They're going to check me, but then, but then secondly, they're going to they're come alongside. They don't need to be the ones that were there like, hey, when he cursed me out, they don't need to be eyewitnesses to the original sin. They just need to be there when we confront each other again in step two to say, hey, yeah, Jason confronted this person, and he's not receptive to it. And, and so, like, the, he, he, he's not apologizing. He's not honoring God. And so if that doesn't work, if, if, if they're still stubborn and rebellious, then, hey, guess what? There's a third step and a fourth step. He says this. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to him as, as a Gentile and a tax collector. And this is where it gets so muddy. This is where churches screw this up all the time. What, what is the context of this passage is that we would pursue people, that we would go after them, that we would have a heart that breaks for people. And, and here, churches take this and say, well, I'm going to ostracize people. You're gone. Be gone. Never walk foot in our doors again. Like, you are gone. But is that the heart? But then there's, there's this duality to this too. Like, what's the heart of us when we walk into the church? Do we bring in this, this culture, cultural mindset where we say, you know what? My life is my life. What I do in secret, if I have 35 Instagram accounts where I can do whatever I want on all 35, like what's it to you? You mind your own business. But in the church, we care about each other. In the church, I understand that my, my business isn't my business because I want brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to care about me enough to say, Jason, you're being an idiot in love, and you need to be more like Jesus in this area. I don't want to bring in the worldly mindset of, like, I'm just going to do me, you do you, because that's indifferent and that's not caring. Don't we all want to be more like Jesus? And, and, and so if, it, if that is true, then, then, we, then we have to know that at some point, yeah, I, 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 like the, my, my stuff might be brought out in the open. I, as a pastor, I understand that. Above all people in leadership, like, this could happen to me. God willing, it will never happen. But what if one day something in my life is this unaddressed sin where I've been approached by, by a single person, I've been approached by a group of people, and I'm still saying to screw you guys, 
then at some point I know right now that my baggage could be aired to everybody. And here's what I hope is that the people that sit before me would relentlessly pursue me in a heart of love to bring me back to Jesus Christ. That's what happened when Peter was confronted by Paul. That's how we got the book of Galatians. We preached through that a little bit ago. And so he says, teach them as a, treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's an unsaved person. That's somebody that doesn't know Jesus. We're not trying to ostracize and, and, and to punish people. What we're trying to do is we're trying to awaken people. So I know that, that Wheels and Graham and I, we share close fellowship. We're close friends. And you know what happens with close friends? That they have all the passwords to my accounts and so that they can check my Instagram. They can check my Facebook. They can check my Gmail. They can check my calendar. They can check it all to make sure that Jason is being held accountable. But guess what? If so if they're if all of a sudden I go to wheels I'm like wheels you're lying and a group of people go to wheels and he's lying and he's not being truthful guess what that fellowship might be hurt where all of a sudden I'm like I'm changing my passwords because you know what that closeness I can't share with him at this point anymore and so fellowship might be hurt it might be something where you we do at this point go to a life group and say listen so and so is struggling in this area we need to come alongside him and now the focal point is to treat them as that one lost person which means that we're in relentless pursuit of them what to bring them to a place where they understand the mercy of God so that's what it looks like fellowship community relationship might be hurt when we get to the point where we need to tell it to the church and say this is not working well so that there's a community of believers coming alongside somebody and then Jesus says this to conclude this specific section. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or, or if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. That is such an abused uh, piece of scripture. Why? Because it's in the context of, of restoration. It's not saying, hey, if two people get together and they start praying, God's a magic genie in the bottle. He'll do whatever you pray for. No. This is saying that there is a process here. God has given us blueprints out of his mercy and his grace and that we need to get, get people together praying and ask God for his wisdom throughout the entire process. Are you willing to have somebody come alongside you to check your heart when you're offended? There is a church recently that, that fumbled through this process and uh, their senior pastor had to resign and as he resigned, he said that everything that was said about him was a lie. And, uh, and so the elders and the new, they had uh, co-senior pastors. The co-senior pastors also defended this man. And uh, they, they went, he was accused of wrongdoing from a sexual standpoint. And they defended and said the, these accusations, the people that are accusing him are atrocious. They're not, they, they, they kind of went on the attack of the people that were the offended party. And, and just recently, the two uh, co-senior pastors uh, re, uh, resigned. And here's some of the things that, that they said. They said, our entire elder board has come to grips with the areas of our hearts, minds, and souls that blinded us to pain and suffering of the women and, the, of the women and their advocates. We ask uh, forgiveness from God, our congregation, the women, and their advocates for those who have been calling us to repent. We are sorry that we allowed said pastor to operate without the kind of accountability that he should have had. We believe that said pastor's sins were beyond what he had previously admitted on stage, and certainly we believe his, his actions with these women were sinful. We believe that he did not receive feedback as well as he gave it. And, and he resisted accountability and structures that were needed. And to the victims, and, and they named them by name, we have no reason not to believe you. 
We are sorry that our initial statements were so insensitive, defensive, and, and, and reflects uh, some big word of, uh, protective of, of said pastor. We exhort said pastor to acknowledge his sin publicly and to apologize. If we don't handle this process well, we will one day be in the media. And so may we handle this well. Would we not skip a process? Would we say, you know, I don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip step one and go to two or three people. Like, then we make a sinful mess, even messier. But God has clearly given us blueprints. Would we soak it in prayer and go forward with it? The second thing is that we now have motivation. You may not want to do this. You may not feel like it. You may not feel about, you know, hey, pot smoking Joe is right here. I know you're not. And feel like inviting him to the to the dinner table but we have motivation to extend that sort of grace and that and that and that and that mercy and that forgiveness why because peter goes on peter then interrupts the sermon and says then then peter came up and said to him lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times which in that day would have been forgiving all the rabbis said you know what you forgive people up to three times and then have nothing to do with them so peter was also being gracious here and jesus said no i do not say to you uh i do not say to you seven times but seventy seven times there should be no limit to your forgiveness peter's like jesus are you you telling me i need to forgive people often are you telling me people i need to at one point i need to hurt people's fellowship peter like jesus am, am i hearing you correctly this is a hard thing this is a hard pill to swallow and peter is thinking in 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 terms of a limit in terms of how many times guess who did that Pharisees, people that love religion, people that love keeping score, they think how many times, how many times, how many times, but Jesus, grace is limitless. Jesus doesn't think in terms of the law, he thinks in terms that are immeasurable, unlimited terms of grace. And so Peter wants to know how many times. And so Jesus says, well, limitlessly, and then he tells him a story to say, this is why you should be motivated. He, he says, there's this king, therefore the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, y'all, we don't necessarily know what talents are per se. Well, we do if we study it. And, and so here's what 10,000 talents would equate to. If you, if you take what it was worth back in the day and you try to, to compare it to today's money on the very very conservative side of the coin if you will it could be worth 2.5 billion dollars that's the conservative but it but really if you take a less conservative view it could be worth billions and billions of billions and dollars but we'll take the conservative view here's a king that was owed 2.5 billion (laughs) dollars it's an astronomical amount and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made, which would be a common practice back in the day. It wouldn't be anything. It wasn't the most extreme thing that you could do. The most extreme thing you could do would be to throw somebody in jail. But the, but the king didn't go there. Just sell everybody into slavery and they'll pay it back at some point. Uh, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. And out of pity for the master... And of the, serv- of the master of the servant, he released him and forgave his debt. That's, that's when, when we have, like if I owe somebody $2.5 billion, I have nothing to offer. There is no way I can do this. And so if, I'm, if I need, I would be just like this slave where I fall on my knees and say, have pity, have pity, have pity. There is nothing I can do. I need you to extend to me something I can't extend to myself, mercy and forgiveness. And, and so the king, the king does that. I'll repay it. I'll repay it. Like, like he, he knows he can't. He, like he knows that, that, that there's nothing that he can offer. 
have patience with me. I'll, I'll pay you everything. No, you won't. But Jesus, or the, the, the king doesn't try to argue him. He knows he's delusional right now. You'll never repay me. Don't we do that when God extended us forgiveness for a season? Weren't we delusional? Weren't we saying, God, I'll just turn over a new leaf? God, I'll get better. God, I'll never do it again. You save me this time. That's it. I'm out. I'm out of the game. And then we're back in the game. We start making all these delusional promises to God, asking for his mercy, when we just, the king just says, here is mercy. Cancels the debt and releases him. Is, if it, like, that's mercy and grace, right? He could have just canceled the debt. That would have been mercy. But then, but, or he could have just, he could have, yeah. But then he releases him. That, that's grace. And so mercy and grace, what a powerful scene of forgiveness. That's motivation. But then here's what happens. But, but, when, but when the same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That, if we take the conservative figure, would have been about $4,000. The percentage of between the two would have been about point zero 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 one six percent of what the man owed the first king it's not even comparable it's not even a fraction like this is this isn't like he he like a man owed him four thousand dollars compared to the billions that he owed somebody else and so seizing him he began to choke him pay what you owe and his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him have patience with me i will pay you does that sound familiar He refused and went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That was the worst possible thing that you could do was to throw somebody in jail when a debt was owed. And he went there. And when his fellow servants saw that that he was taking place, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to the master what had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I gave you, uh, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers that he should, should pay all of his debt. So his heavenly father, uh, the father will do uh, one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The, imis- the initial slave should have had pity. Why? Because he was shown pity. To refuse mercy, that makes God so angry. Because of the mercy he has shown us. He wasn't expecting the slave just to, just to forgive the debt, just to say, like, oh, you're forgiven, but go to jail now. He, he was saying, like, the way I treated you was the exact way you should have treated this other person. But instead, you threw him in debtor's jail? We ought to forgive as Jesus forgave. And you know what? We ought to take forgiveness as serious as Jesus takes it. This, this person was, was forgiven much, but he never, he never eternalized it. He, he just said, like, I got my clean bill of health, or, or my debt has been canceled, but he, he never internalizes it. Mercy is meant to be paid for. I, I shared with you guys about that woman caught in the act of adultery last week and uh, who, who, was show, who was said not to be condemned. I, I grabbed this rock back in the day and wrote, those without sin throw the first stone because... I needed the reminder. I, I was in a church. I was going through a Matthew 18 process, and I was saying all the right things, but I had a terrible attitude about it. I was, I was, I was saying, I just wanted to condemn. I just wanted to punish. I wanted these people to suffer because they were hurting my church, and they were hurting the name of God. And so my attitude was, I want to pick up rocks, and I want to destroy them. And God convicted me in that moment that those without sin throw the first stone. He was convicting me of my attitude, that my attitude wasn't to punish and get even. My attitude was like, I want these people to be more like Jesus, and how can I come alongside them to help them grow and to become more like Jesus? I said all the right things 
things but with the wrong attitude. If you say things with the wrong heart, you're still wrong. <laughs> and so you might be wrong about your ex. You might be wrong that your brother might actually be an idiot. You may have been walked all over. You may see sin in others clearly, but if you go about it with the wrong heart, you're going to get nowhere. <laughs> we should be motivated that we have been showed mercy. So have patience. I, I, I deal, like, I, I, there's times where I miss emails, I miss deadlines, and am I going to extend the same mercy and forgiveness to others? There was back in the day, I didn't make my bed uh, when my mom asked me. Am I going to blow up on my kids, or am I going to show patience when they also don't make their beds sometimes? <laughs> and so are we going to extend the grace and the mercy that God has extended to us? How patient should we be? How patient is God being with you right now? We should extend that same patience and that grace. And so who do you need to pay this forward? Who needs to sit around your Christmas table? Mercy is meant to be paid forward. We have blueprints and we have motivation. And so when it comes to us, like as a church, we, we are going to speak loudly to, a, to a, the unbelieving world how we handle these issues. To, to say that, hey, the greatest relationship that mankind could ever know is us with Jesus Christ. But meanwhile, our relationships suck. Like we sin against each other. We gossip against each other. We're just terrible human beings to each other. But pray for one, y'all. <laughs> Or, or, yes, or the other side is, is, hey, you know what? There is sin in your life. God takes sin so seriously. He sent his son to die for your sin. But the sin in my life, God doesn't really give a crap about anymore. I'm good. I'm just going to be indifferent. You do you. Endless growth, y'all. <laughs> we need to care about this, and we need to handle it properly because our forgiveness towards people is going to show them ultimately God's forgiveness. We value generosity. Graham talked about this when he was doing announcements. We serve a generous God. God has been so generous with us with mercy. Will we be mer merciful and generous to others? Are we willing to show that same generosity to others? And so here's my challenge to you today. Send a text message. There is somebody on your heart, on your mind right now. That, that before this talk, you may have come in here fighting it. Uh, that you may have said, like, I will never allow them to sit around the Christmas table. I'm not going to extend that forgiveness or they're going to make things uncomfortable. I don't, want, I don't even really care about them knowing Jesus. Somebody else can tell them about Jesus. So what's the text message you need to send right now to say, you know what, we're having family dinner tomorrow and I'd love for you to be there. Maybe right now you need to send that text message. And as I said this, I, as I thought about this, I thought about Jesus for a second. Jesus did a lot with tables. If you read through the Gospels, he, was, he, was, he kind of hung out at tables. There, there was this time where, where, where he's eating with, with, with a bunch of people, and, and a sinful lady, probably a prostitute, uh, comes, in, comes to the table, and Jesus didn't say, hey, be gone, be gone. You can't be here at my table. You make things awkward. Uh, people are going to think I'm a loosey-goosey. Uh, they're going to think that I'm, I'm, I'm sinning, or I'm a, but that people might get the wrong impression if you're sitting at my table. But Jesus welcome sinners in, people that would give people the wrong opinion. He didn't care because he had a meal with them. He also welcomed Pharisees, he, 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 people that theologically disagreed with him, people that thought about the scriptures differently than he did. He, he invited them in even if their thinking wasn't aligned. And he shared a, a meal with them. And, and we're going to uh, we're gonna celebrate. You guys got a communion cup on your way in. And... Uh, I want, I want us to take communion, and, and part of that is, is an understanding that this Last Supper, think about who Jesus was sitting around that table with. 
Peter's there, and in a few hours, Peter's going to tell a whole group of people, I don't know this man, Jesus. I'd die for you, Jesus, but in a few moments, I don't know you, Jesus. And, and he's sitting there, he's sitting there at the table breaking bread and whatnot. You know who he shares a meal with in that moment? Judas, who in a few moments will sell him out with a kiss. He was backstabbed, backstabbed by two of his closest friends. And Jesus is sharing a meal with them. Jesus shared a meal with a lot of people and offered forgiveness through the process. So as we reflect on communion, that Jesus would break his body for us and spill his blood for us, that we are recipients of mercy, would we reflect on who we need to send a text message to? So I invited Carly and John back up. They're going to stay seated. Just This is a time of reflection. They're going to play some of that, that song, A Death Was Arrested. So they'll play that. We'll reflect, and then we'll take communion together. Let's reflect. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.